0: Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I'm sure you're familiar with Leonardo da Vinci. Uh, Da Vinci was a Renaissance figure. Uh, He was a painter, painted the Mona Lisa, the Last Supper. Uh, Da Vinci was an inventor. He sketched prototypes of flying machines long before anyone actually created one. And he was a pioneer in the field of anatomy and physiology, uh, exploring uh, parts of the the human body that nobody would do for years and years to come. You probably also know of one of da Vinci's contemporaries, Niccolo Machiavelli. Uh, Machiavelli, also a Renaissance figure. He was an Italian diplomat, a philosopher. He pioneered the field of political science as he wrote this book called The Prince, which was a guidebook for reigning and ruling a nation. Now, what you may not know, what I didn't know until just recently, is these two men actually collaborated on a project together. Two brilliant people got together to work on a project. Uh, Their project centered around something rather unexpected. Uh, They focused on this here, the Arno River. The Arno River The Arno River flows uh, through Italy from Florence to Pisa. And the year was 1503, and Italy was in a state of war for a number of years. Uh, Florence was at war with the city of Pisa. And Machiavelli and da Vinci got together, and they came up with a crazy idea for how to win the war. They were going to take this river and divert the flow away from Pisa. Uh, Through a series of canals and man-made structures, they were going to change the course of this powerful river so that it stopped flowing to the city of Pisa. Uh, They thought that if they, they could harness the power of the water, then they could dry up farming, they could dry up commerce, they could dry up shipping, they could dry up the economy, they could dry up the whole city and win the war. Now, meanwhile, this very same time in history, the early 1500s, 700 miles away in Germany, something else was happening. Uh, Something a little less nefarious than trying to uh, capture a river and divert its flow. But a man named Martin Luther was diving into God's word for the very first time in his life. Uh, He was a Christian from birth Uh, But Luther, like many people in his day, knew very little of scripture. Uh, But the early 1500s, Luther became a monk, and then he started studying theology at the University of Wittenberg, and for the first time in his life, he really wrestled with God's word. Uh, He dove in and studied God's word, and something happened. The power of God's word transformed his life. He encountered the truth and peace and wisdom of God's word. He was transformed as he heard the gospel in all its purity. He was changed. The world was changed. Now, these two events, they happened long ago. They happened far, far away from here. But I want to use these two events to help us think about the power of God's word in our lives today. About how when God's word is flowing in our lives, when God's word is flowing in the church, how it changes things. It causes growth and it sustains us. It transforms us. So we're going to be thinking about God's word today, alright? And as we dive into this conversation, I want to make sure that we all have a good understanding of, of some key characteristics of the word of God so as you look at the Bible uh, you don't have to get very far to hear something about the word of God right Uh, you get into Genesis uh, three verses in and we're already hearing about the powerful word of God this is Genesis 1 verse 3 and God said let there be light and there was light Uh, These are words that, that we know well, but let's not gloss over them, all right? Let's not take them for granted. God said and there was. And this pattern continues throughout the early parts of Genesis, right? God speaks a word and something happens. God proclaims something and it is done. Unlike you and me, When we speak a word, things don't immediately happen, but God, his word is powerful, so he simply says it, and it happens. This sounds a lot like Psalm 46, right? Psalm 46, verse 6, he utters his voice, the earth melts. The powerful word of God, in simply speaking a word, something happens. Uh, there's a contemporary poet. Uh, he deals with the spoken word. Uh, his name is Jason Petty. And, and thinking about the powerful word of God, particularly in creating and making things happen, uh, Jason Petty says this God spoke, and the formless earth was sculpted. His poetry producing populations, making constellations with his conversations, gazing at his own creation, proclaiming it was good, and there. We stood. Friends, that's the power of God's Word. Speaking a word and it happening. The first characteristic that we need to know today about God's Word is it is powerful. It's powerful. Uh, We continue to move through Scripture, we hear more and more about God's Word. Uh, We get to Isaiah 55, and we hear beautiful poetry. Uh, about God's word. Uh, This is the word of the Lord spoken through the prophet Isaiah. And we hear this, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth making it bring forth and sprout giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty but it shall accomplish that which I propose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Uh, here, God's word is likened to rain or water or or even a river, where it comes, coming from heaven, coming from the mouth of God, and moving and flowing, coming to you and to me, coming to the creation and making things happen, causing growth causing things to sprout and become and to live. God's word is not inactive. It's not dead. It's not inert. But it's exactly the opposite of that, right? Just as Isaiah tells us, God's word is on the move. God's word is active, flowing from one place to the next, causing things to change. This is echoed in Hebrews chapter 4. For the word of God is living and active, Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Uh, The second characteristic that I want us to to think about today, a characteristic of God's Word is God's Word is active. God's Word is active. And then the third characteristic, uh, we heard about this in our epistle reading today, uh, we heard uh, Paul's epistle to the church in Thessalonica. Uh, Thessalonica was not an easy place to be a Christian, all right? Uh, if you think it's hard to be a follower of Jesus in 21st century America, it was that much harder to be a follower of Jesus in 1st century Thessalonica. Uh, Acts chapter 17, we hear about Paul and Silas coming to that place and they proclaim God's word to the people there. What happens? an angry mob drives them out. A group of people angry at what they are saying gather together and drive Paul away from that place. But something else also happened. Even though they were driven out, they had proclaimed the word of God and the word of God went to work in that place. Hearts and minds and lives were transformed by the power of God's word. Uh, We hear Paul talking about this in our epistle reading, 1 Thessalonians 1. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. The word of God came to that place and transformed the lives of the people living there. Uh, They had gone from worshiping dead idols, lifeless idols, to knowing and trusting the living and true God. They had gone from a life of waywardness and rebellion and sin to a life of obedience and trust in the Lord. They had gone from death to new life in Christ. That was the Word of God, that was the gospel. Uh, The good news that Paul proclaimed that this son from heaven, whom God raised from the dead, this good news came and it changed their lives. It transformed their lives with full conviction, with full power. So, the third thing, the third characteristic of God's word that, that I want us to know today is that God's word is transforming. Transforming. All right. Let's pause for a moment. We have already covered a ton of ground in this sermon, right? Uh, we started with some history. We started in the 1500s thinking about uh, da Vinci and Machiavelli doing this outlandish thing of trying to divert a river away from Pisa. And we talked about Martin Luther, how he encountered the power of God's word and his life and history was changed. And now we've just talked about some, some basic characteristics about the Word of God. Here's what I want to do. I want to bring these three things, these three kind of seemingly disparate pieces, I want to bring them together. And I want to use an image to help us do that, okay? So here's the image I want to use to help us think of these three things. A dry riverbed. A dry riverbed. Because you see, 500 years ago, before the Reformation, the church had become like a dry riverbed. Individual followers of Jesus had become sort of like this dry riverbed. Because just like Machiavelli and da Vinci had tried to do with a real river, 500 years ago, the word of God had been diverted away from the church. It had been dammed up and sent away from the lives of people. But you see, 500 years ago... Scripture was in Latin. Uh, It had been translated from Hebrew and Greek uh, by a guy named Jerome into what was called the Vulgate, or a Latin translation of the Bible. And, And the vast majority of Bibles were in Latin in that day. But there was a problem. The vast majority of people did not know Latin only uh, educated individuals, only uh, folks who were nobility and had uh, some sort of upward mobility, those were the people who knew Latin. So your average people, people like you and me, would not have access to the word of God. It was the same way in worship. Uh, In the worship service, in the preaching, in the teaching, the life of the church, it was in Latin. So people were like this dry, dusty riverbed, The word of God, the power of God, was not flowing in their lives, in their hearts and their minds and their ears. And people become like this. And that's what the Reformation was about. It was about breaking all of those dams, breaking all of those barriers, all of those things that were diverting God's word from his people, so that the word was translated into the language people could understand. So preaching was put into a language people could hear and comprehend so that God's word was living and active and transforming in people's lives. Sola Scriptura, scripture alone, the power of God flowing in the lives of people. That was one of the main points of the Reformation. And that's why this matters to you and to me today. Uh, Even though this happened 500 years ago, Uh, The power of God's word flowing in our lives is still vitally important. Uh, Thinking about this picture, do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like that? Parched? Spiritually parched? Do you ever feel spiritually dry, dusty, withered, Like the stresses of life, the fear, the anxiety, the the burdens of being overwhelmed, like guilt and sin and temptation and all of these things weighing on you, threaten to dry you up, leave you dead, dusty, parched. That's what life is, this side of the Garden of Eden. That's what life is in a world of sin, but the word of God comes to us. The power of God, powerful, active, transforming, flowing in our life. It takes us from this dry, dusty riverbed and lets it flow. Let's peace and comfort, wisdom, truth, forgiveness, mercy, all of these good gifts from God in his word. It lets it flow in our lives so that it can sprout and grow, and we can have life now and always in Jesus. And I want to conclude this sermon. uh, We're thinking about the power of God's word. I want to conclude this sermon with a kind of personal story, a personal story. This happened to me a number of months ago, a time when I was kind of feeling like that dry, dusty riverbed. Uh, I had a very, very, very minor health issue. It was slightly more serious than a hangnail. But I did the worst possible thing you could do in that moment. I Googled it. (laughs) And this thing that was very minor quickly became a source of fear and wonder and speculation. And what if it's this? What if it's that? What about this? And suddenly this thing that was really nothing became something. And I was becoming parched, withered with concern And in the midst of that, I was doing my daily Bible reading, Uh, doing my daily Bible reading plan. I do my daily Bible reading plan on my phone, and I was in the Gospel of John, John chapter 11. Here I am, uh, somewhat withered and parched, concerned about what's going on, what is this? Open up my Bible app, and this is what I saw. John chapter 11, verse 4, this illness does not lead to death. (laughs) And you may laugh, I laugh at it now, but literally that was the word of God spoken into my ear, into my heart, into my mind. That was the power of God flowing in my life, quenching fear, quenching concern, bringing about peace and trust and comfort. Brothers and sisters, if there is anything in your life that is dry and dusty and dead, Let God's word flow into your life, into your heart, into your ears. Because that is where God is active and transforming and speaking to you and to me. This is most certainly true. Now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting.